This week on the In-Depth Podcast, actor and producer Clint Howard. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Clint at the same time we also talked with his brother, director Ron Howard, and niece, actress Bryce Dallas Howard. That was all part of my episode featuring Ron, but we got so much good stuff from Clint that we've decided to share that content with you here in podcast form. Ahead, Clint reflects on the relationship with his older brother. Ron is a Hall of Fame movie director. He's a better big brother. And explains how Ron helped him through a particularly difficult time. And he goes, you know, it's one thing when you use drugs, but it's another thing when drugs start using you. Plus, Clint shares an embarrassing moment on set with Robert De Niro. I put my foot in my mouth a few times, but that was a gigantic boot. But we begin with a look back at the lasting impact of his parents. I uh, reread your uh, book the other day, um, which was amazing, by the way. Well, thank you. How did you guys remember all of this stuff? Boy, that's a good question. I mean, listen, it's never really been too far away from my conscience. Uh, it, 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 you know, my, my life ha- has been wonderful. And I have my mom's gift of gab. She was always a wonderful storyteller and, and so was dad in a different sort of a way. So I've been free to tell stories about my life and, and to talk about it for a long time. So it's always been there. And I don't know, I, I do have a good memory. I mean, people, people tell me about that, and I do. I can go back and remember. Writing the book with Ron was a wonderful, wonderful experience for me. Was I, it? I really needed to do it. Uh, and what? I was at the point in my life where I was sort of spinning my wheels. You know, I've acted so much, and I've done so many things, and, and yet, you know, Dad passed away. Mom had been gone for a while. It left, it left me as being kind of an orphan because dad was my best friend. And so when, when you know, dad passed, I just felt like a little bit I got stuck in the mud. And then when Ron kind of said, hey, you know, you want to write a book? And I'm sure he'll tell you the story. You know, Tom Hanks had suggested that we write a book about our childhood. And it seemed like a pretty good idea to me. Uh, and then getting to kind of dig in creatively and I am a writer, so getting to write about it and, and collaborate with my brother was a wonderful experience, and it made me feel really grateful. Uh, and and uh, boy, I'm sure glad that we had a chance to do it. To, to what extent, uh, when you went back to your parents' house after your dad's passing and you and Ron started going through uh, materials, did that almost first uh, cause you guys to think about putting some of this to paper? I didn't feel like that that trip to dad's house after he passed was really a catalyst for anything. It may have been for Ron, mm-hmm. but it wasn't for me. Uh, listen, I, you know, I just have always been really close to dad. And I miss him you know, just about every day. And at the holidays, I miss him. Um, and and you know, I know he's somewhere around. I know it. I mean, if I'm wrong, God, I'm a fool. But he's around, and, and I'm glad that he's around. What about it, uh, even talking about it now, still uh, touches you so much? He's dad. You know, I mean, uh, I have memories of him coaching me through some very emotional things, you know. I mean, not just, not just learning dialogue and, and, and delivering the goods as an actor, 
but life stuff. I'll tell you, I have a memory going from sixth grade to seventh grade, going from elementary school to junior high school was a huge deal for me. And I will never forget the night that I went to, to junior high school for the first day. I could not sleep a wink. And dad stayed up with me and we talked and we, I don't know whether we played board games or not, but we just, we, you know, he, he sort of coached me through that moment. And, you know, that has nothing to do with show business. That has everything to do with life. And so he was there for me. What are your memories from John Burroughs? <laughs> Burroughs. Well, Burroughs was cool. I liked high school. I really loved junior high school. And then I got to high school and it was cool. I played varsity baseball. I immediately, as a sophomore, uh, was, was, a, was kind of a key figure in the school newspaper because I was a journalist, you know, from junior high through high school, I was a journalist and, and me and my best friend Gig sort of ended up running the school newspapers. And you thought that could be a career path. Oh yeah, you, you know, yeah. listen, I, through dad's, through both mom and dad's sort of guidance, they were certainly sort of saying, hey, you know, not every child actor makes it. Not every child actor makes the transition and, and forget about that, if you don't want to do it, you should try to find something that you really love to do. And writing it always kind of in my blood. I always enjoyed it and I like the idea of journalism because it's, in, it's you know, an inquisitive sort of a thing. I, I love to find out about stuff. I love to be you know, inquisitive. And you know, Ron said I was born with a raised eyebrow. Oh, did he? Yeah, where I'm always kind of going, wait, that's not quite the way I'm really seeing it. You know, so, you know, isn't that kind of the makings of a pretty good journalist? He says he had a learning disability in school that was undiagnosed. Uh, what do you think? Oh, I don't know. I, uh, you know, Ron wasn't the, the brightest, smartest kid when he was growing up. I, I never would have thought of it as a learning disability. I wasn't really paying attention to Ron when he was in school. We wouldn't talk about, hey, dude, what'd you get? What was your grades or anything like that? I always thought he was doing okay. Um, and was he, he not the brightest kid because he just was uninterested in the subject matter so didn't apply himself? Or was he somebody who just kind of struggled with the actual work? Ron always, and he still does, he works extremely hard. He, he and, and, and in many ways he is brilliant. But he's not brilliant like a biology whiz, or he's not brilliant like a mathematician. He's very pragmatic about his problem solving. And he will work a problem until he can find a solution. And he also, one thing about Ron, he doesn't dig his heels in. He, he, he remains flexible to the solutions, you know, which is something I think, you know, really serves any, anybody well, is if they don't dig their heels in. And, and, and later in life, I've realized, you know, that that doesn't serve me well. We were talking to Brian Grazer, and he said, there is a point at which in the creative process, if Ron feels adamant about something, and he feels like an actor's pushing too far that Ron will just cut it off. You know, in film, it's a director's medium. Mm -hmm. And finally, 
the buck stops with the director. Yep. It's his vision. You know, the, the writer can write beautiful words and set up a beautiful sort of story. And, and yet it finally is the director who is taking the material, the performances, the crew's technical expertise, and he's molding it into, you know, a vision. Um, and yeah, you know, Ron, Ron realizes the buck finally stops with the director. Um, and Ron has a wonderful way of getting great performances out of actors. What do you think were the values that your parents tried to instill in you guys? Work hard, understand what, what, what is honest, uh, and come at it from an honest perspective. Dad taught me, this is, some, you know, both mom and dad played a huge part in my life. But as far as the acting stuff goes, it was really the, the intimacy of, of, of dad working with me as a young actor. You know, really look somebody in the eye. Nothing beats really looking somebody in the eye because you just, I don't know what it is, but you can find out stuff, you know, and really listen, which is something that at times in my life I tend to not listen. I know my wife sometimes will say, "Don't you're not listening to me," um, but the the you know the fact is is it's critical to listen, and to really look somebody in the eye and then be honest. You know, when you guys were kids, there was a point at which the kids are out earning the parents. What do you think your parents did that enabled that to avoid becoming kind of a poisonous situation? Well, I don't know, Graham, because I never thought about it as a kid. I knew I was making money, but it never was an issue. It, it, we, were, we had a good family dynamic. One wonderful thing about both mom and dad is, and it, you know, I learned this later on in life when I was able to step back and have a little perspective about it. You know, they did not get into the business, because they were the ones, they were the dreamers from Oklahoma that decided they were gonna give show business a shot. And I, I would have given them no chance. I mean, my dad was a hick, you know, and my mom was, you know, came from a small town, and, and, and you know, these people just don't make it in show business. I wouldn't have bet on them at all. But they had the intestinal fortitude, and you know, dad's special gift was he wasn't intimidated by anybody or any situation. And when dad was, you know, 30 years old, he got in a situation where, you know, he was, he was with Andy Griffith and Don Knotts and Aaron Rubin and Sheldon Leonard and these very powerful people in show business. And yet dad was the guy that would raise his hand and say, you know, excuse me. I don't think this is going in the right direction. I think that you're writing Opie to be too bratty. And, you know, listen, I, I think that might get you guys laughs like it did on the Danny Thomas show. But I believe if you have a really good, honest relationship between Opie and, and his father, that it will play better. He's putting himself in a position to get kicked right, right in the, the, the chestnuts, you know. And, and yet he did it in a way to where Andy listened and Sheldon listened. And they came back and they said, you know, you're right, Rance. Boy, didn't that set up the show well. Didn't that decision to not make Opie a little jerk work out really, really well for the Andy Griffith show? That's pop. What do you think you learned from your mom? To be really friendly. Mom could make friends with somebody in an elevator in two floors. 
Mom could sit next to somebody on the set and in five minutes they would be chatting it up and they'd be friendly. And also mom had a tenacity about her. You know, mom wasn't a very big woman. She was kind of 5'1 or 5'2 and, and, and yet, you know, she had a lot of spark. The only sad thing about what happened to mom is, you know, she didn't take care of herself too well in her early days. You know, she started smoking cigarettes when she was 15 or 16 years old, and she smoked heavily until she was 40, and it really tore her lungs up, and it tore her heart up, and so when she was about 60 years old, she started having real legitimate, you know, health issues, and it really slowed her down. So I would encourage everybody to, Jesus, let's take care of ourselves. And then the injury didn't help. Yeah. Either, right? Well, yeah, mom had this horrible thing happen. She, her and dad got booked to, to work on a Peter O'Toole movie over in Israel. And then when, when mom and dad went over there, they, they decided to go a few days early uh, to, to sightsee and stuff. And they, they were somewhere, uh, mom was walking down a stone spiral staircase and snapped her ankle. And it just, you know, not only she was, they were mad because they couldn't do the part, but that also slowed mom's rehab and slowed mom's, the ability for mom to get around and, and it just, you know. Mom, mom had a very young spirit and a very old body. Rotten said uh, he regrets the way he treated her at times. What do you think of that? I think he's right and I think I'm guilty of that too. How so? Oh, I don't know. Mom had some habits like picking her face and smoking um, and, and doing things that, you know, I think dad was trying to get her to not do those things. And dad had a very loving way of doing it. And yet I don't think that, that the boys were quite as loving. I think we kind of jumped on the pick on mom bandwagon. And, and, you know, of course, I don't think dad ever let it get too far, but I certainly cherish mom more than I did when she was around. She was such a dynamo. And I think, I think that she realized we realized that, but I wish we would have done it more, <laughs> you know. And what makes you say you, you cherish her more? <sighs> well, boy, Graham, this is gonna get kind of hard. She was really dad's rock. He certainly wasn't disappointed in Ron and I's success, but, but he didn't achieve the kind of success that he had dreamed of when he was a young kid. And mom was right there. They were right there together, you know. And so, you know, I just, um, I, 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 I do, I, I cherish mom. What do you think that taught you guys about relationships? that it was okay to, to, to have love be important. Mom and dad have taught me so much in my life. I, I, I will, hopefully when I see them again, I will say thanks. Uh, and I understand he would never talk down to you guys. Oh no, dad, no. And he was not in a stupid way, not in a silly way. Dad was a great cheerleader. You know, and I worked in some pretty cheesy movies in the early, my early adulthood. I mean, I still, you know, if somebody wants to hire me, you know, I'll, I'll work in the cheese ball. <laughs> but, you know, dad always positive. So, and mom too, always positive about, about life, about 
circumstance, you know? I mean, listen, there was a turn that happened in my life that wasn't positive, but dad was right there for me, you know? And, and, and not that he was silly about it and stupid, he was kind of protecting himself and protecting mom, uh, and, and yet, but he was very positive to me. In this period, you got into drugs and alcohol. Some, I, I think uh, you, at one point, parents took away key to their house. Mom and dad went to a couple of, Al, a couple of Al-Anon meetings and you know, they learned some simple good stuff. So they changed the locks. And you know, in the moment it didn't really bother me, but you know, as soon after, especially early into kind of a second life, I realized, God, what a, you know, what a brilliant thing to do. And, and, and you know, dad didn't follow all the rules of program. Dad never really followed exactly everything. Dad had a real salt-of-the-earth, homespun way of, of, you know, kind of helping me. There was a period of time where he put me to work doing very simplistic, like, building, carpentering work, menial labor, manual labor, just to keep me busy. And, you know, he, it was a wonderful touch because that was right about the time in 1991 where I said enough is enough. And I needed to figure out a way to, to do things different, put the plug in the jug, you know, and quit going over to the guy's house, you know, and, and, and it worked. You know, listen, it wasn't all dad. There's, you know, there's a wonderful community of recovery that, that is there if, for people that want to reach out. But you got to, somebody has to want to, change. Somebody has to want to do things different. And I did, you know, listen, I've heard the expression, you know, for a long time, you're, you're at rock bottom. Well, listen, there's people that hit rock bottom and then they scrape along the bedrock for a while. And after a little while, I just got tired of thinking about bringing dismal stuff. And, and I was able to do it, you know, and they were there and, 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 and then, you know, carry on. Ron said he in part blames himself for what you went through. Well, that's a nice thought, but I, I kind of call bullshit on that. I mean, listen, How's I don't up? know what I don't know. What's a big brother gonna do? What's a guy? I mean, I love Ron, and and you know, I kind of knew. I knew what he was thinking. Ron and I went to a Super Bowl. Super Bowl fourteen. I guess it was. It was this. It was the Steelers and the Rams at, at the Rose Bowl. And he gave me the speech about, you know, because he had been around a lot of young actors that, you know, getting loaded or high or whatever, I, you know. And he goes, you know, it's one thing when you use drugs, but it's another thing when drugs start using you. And the one problem with Ron is this, his talks were a little cliche, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, but I don't know what he could have done. But, I, you know, if he, if he would have played it different, I may have fully rejected it, you know? And in fact, oh, you know, big brother telling me what to do, big brother friggin' what, you know, he's, what business does he have, you know? But dad's, dad's touch and Ron's touch, um, it worked out for me. We had a great family dynamic, Graham. I mean, Ron and I were always really close. He, I mean, Ron, and I say this all the time, Ron is a Hall of Fame movie director. He's a better big brother. He still is a better big brother. 
you got to realize Ron was an only child for a while, you know? And, and when I came along, Ron was really glad to have a little buddy. And he, he, he brought me along, you know? So I was always included. And it just made me feel good. It, it also made me, I think it encouraged me to think well. And it encouraged me to, to, to kind of, you know, be who I am. And I'm grateful for it, you know? Uh, Cheryl, I was talking to her yesterday, and she said, uh, sometimes I don't feel he understands his power or worth in a given moment. Your thoughts? Oh, boy, does he understand? Does Ron understand his power and his worth? Well, you know, I think Ron is, is right-sized. I think Ron's got a really beautiful blend of confidence and, and observed frigging where he, where he is and where his place in the world. Um, I think, I, think I, I personally wish Ron would have a little better sense of, of self-victory. You know, Ron is a Hall of Famer. Ron, there, I can count a couple of people in the entertainment business that, that, have, that, are, that have more credibility and do better creative work than Ron. What makes him the Hall of Famer to you? He, Ron has a tremendous consistency. You know, uh, Ron also has not let up. He loves to tell stories. He loves to explore things and deliver that exploration to the public. Um, you got to remember, he was, he was Opie. And when he was 13 or 14 years old, and, and he was still Opie, and he wanted to do something else, and he got this idea, he got this dream to make movies, to be a director, to be a John Ford, to be a Frank Capra. Um, the vibe out there was, <laughs> are you kidding? Opie doesn't become a director. You know, and Ron fought that. Ron fought that inside and out. What did you remember seeing in terms of him doing that? Well, I saw him get a camera in his hand and I, and I saw my big brother know what he was doing. I saw right away, by the time he was 16 or 17 years old, he had the chops to direct. I mean, listen, I had been around, I knew, I had experienced directors, I had seen really good directors, and I had seen hacks. And right away, as a 16-year-old, if Ron, if somebody had handed Ron an episode of a television show to do, he wouldn't have been a hack. And he was 16 years old. That movie that he made, Deed of Daring Do, was a freaking great little movie that he shot. He was a kid, and he put together a thing where he couldn't do any edits, and he told a linear story, and he nailed it. In one take, by the way. He made Deed of Daring Do with one little cartridge of film, which is mind-boggling for a 16-year-old. And as you see it, it, it looks great. So I saw a kid, my big brother, get laughed at. When a high school basketball game, the cheerleaders are chanting, oh! Opie, 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 when he's trying to shoot free throws, you know? And, and then I saw him take a hold of something like he wanted to be a movie maker. And I had the, the utmost confidence in him. I knew right away he was going to do it. And it makes me proud. It still makes me proud. When people are laughing at him or giving him a hard time back then, how would it make you feel? 
that they were assholes. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't, yeah. the, you know, freaking people picking on him. Yeah, you know, Ron was a little nerdy in school. Ron was kind of a nerdy, you know, there were kind of, there were reasons and redhead and little pimples and he, God, he was Opie. You know, yeah, if, if I would have been one of his classmates, I probably would have picked on him too. <laughs> but the fact is, 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 is that he was much more than that, you know. And it's remarkable to consider that a kid who had everything going for him on the acting front has the, the you know, fortitude or the foresight to recognize that this thing that's, you know, making me so much money, I'm actually going to do something completely different. It's rare that an actor can have a long, long, long-term career, you know. The streets are strewn with guys that have been on television series. Their streets are strewn with guys that have been relatively successful, you know. And, and Ron, I, I think Ron always felt like that he had limitations as an actor, you know, and, and that, that, you know, he, wanted, he, didn't want to be, he didn't want to be bound by those limitations. And listen, being a storyteller is a great idea. Cheryl said the business is hard on personal life and on uh, relationships. She told me they've been to counseling off and on um, over the years. Um, why do you think their marriage has not only lasted, but you know, prospered over the years? Cheryl found a good one, and Ron found a good one in Cheryl. It was the, they're, they're the right kind of magic together. You know, I'll tell you, and Bryce is a great example of, all of Ron's kids are a great example of, of their union. But Bryce is a wonderful example. Uh, I tell you what, I had an opportunity to, to be directed by Bryce in a Lifetime movie a few years ago. And I was on the set watching Bryce direct. And I was just watching. And, and Bryce was, her physical behavior on the set and the way that she, she dealt with the actors so mirrored what I had witnessed with Ron for all these years. It was phenomenal. She was moving just like Ron moved on the set. And, 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 and like you would see what? Oh, it was, it was working. It was very effective. You know, Ron worked really hard on the set and so does Bryce. And I, I, I went home that night and I called Ron and I said, Ron, you got to be really proud because your, your daughter is a wonderful director and Jesus, she, she, she directs just like you do on the set. You know, she moves and she talks to the actors and she whispers in their ears and she's very, not just courteous, but she brings the crew together and she gets everybody going in the right direction and she really loves working with the actors. You guys obviously have worked to, yeah, I mean, the whole family has worked together on many occasions over the years. How about your, whether it's just Ron or multiple people in the family, uh, your favorite experience working together on set? Oh, Jesus. My favorite experience working, well, probably being around on The Grinch was fun because it was such a winter wonderland and it was so magical and, and, and you know, we'd walk onto the soundstage and it would just feel like we were Christmas every day and, and that, you know, that was a fun experience. I, you know, I so enjoyed working on Backdraft with Ron because I got to work with, with Bob De Niro, 
And I, it, was, it was such a great moment. It was a time in my life where I might have been feeling kind of insecure about stuff. And, and Ron, Ron had me do this role. And, he, you know, I got to work with Robert De Niro, friggin' guys, friggin' a giant and standing toe to toe with him and, 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 and going back and forth. It was probably my best day of working on a film ever, was getting to work in Backdraft with Ron and me and Robert De Niro. He, Ron said he learned a lot from watching Robert De Niro and just how he worked. So did uh, I. Uh, in what way? Well, First of all, Ron had kind of told me what his modus operandi was, you know, and, and so I was prepared. He starts out real slow. He doesn't rush. He's not nervous. He's very methodical. And, and you know, Ron said, be prepared to do a lot of takes. And we started doing takes and we started doing takes. And all of a sudden it started getting magical. It was just friggin', I, there's a feeling, I, you know, being an actor when, it, when it's like butter, it's just great. It's only happened a few times in my career. One was with Ed Harris, one was with De Niro. And let me tell myself a little bit here, that it was going so good on Backdraft. We had done a bunch of takes and we were starting to do coverage and, and I was feeling really good. And the craft service lady was coming around with, with snacks on the set, you know? And now, young 27-year-old Clint Howard is feeling really friggin' cocky, right? And the lady's coming around with broccoli pizza. And I'm standing there next to Ron, and she goes, would you guys like some broccoli pizza? And I say, I say to Ron, who the fuck would order broccoli pizza? And Ron looks at me and he goes, um, well, that's Bob's favorite pizza. And I look around and, and De Niro is like about eight feet away. And the way I said it, it's obvious that Bob heard it. And I felt like, boy, I put my foot in my mouth a few times, but that was a gigantic boot right down the old throat. So did you talk to him after that? Did he say anything? No, yeah, okay, no, okay. no. Listen, yeah. I, you know, yeah, who the fuck would eat broccoli pizza? Come on, I'll come uh, back at that, Bob. So the uh, one moment that choked uh, Brian up, in the interview we had with him was recalling uh, finding out that uh, Ron did not get the uh, nomination for best director. For uh, Apollo 13? Yeah. I was surprised that all these years later it still uh, impacts him like that. And I'm curious your thoughts. Well, Listen, the Academy Awards is great. It's a popularity contest. It's, it's, a, it's a voting contest. And, you know, um, at that point in time, apparently Mel Gibson was riding a wave of popularity. And, you know, um, his movie was wonderful. There was no denying that Braveheart was a great picture, but it was ridiculous that Ron didn't get nominated for an Academy Award. Apollo 13 is, is one of the great movies, great American movies ever made. And, and yet, you know, the Academy swung and missed. I mean, and listen, and, and it was. I, it was, that was, that was shitty. I felt bad. Um, you know, he did get the DGA award that year. And, I, you know, I don't know what the, you know, uh, listen, when something like that happens, what are you gonna do? So we can end where we started. Uh, explain to me the Opie gets laid story. <laughs> 
Well, you know, at, at one point, Ron had really decided that's what he wanted to do was make movies, you know. And he, had, he, he knew about independent financing. He knew about being a maverick. He had, you know, Roger Corman independently would make movies and he would hear about people making a little movie and four-walling it, which means they own it and they go around and literally rent movie theaters and show it. And Ron was figuring a way um, because he wasn't having much luck with anybody taking him seriously. And he thought, how can I raise money to make a movie? And he thought about, well, if he acted in a porn, he could make enough money to go off and make his own movie. So the obvious title was Opie Gets Laid, you know, and would have probably made Ron a million dollars and he could have gone off and made a movie. But I don't think Ron wanted that, you know, listen, I'm glad he, just, he steered away from that because I don't think anybody really wanted to see Opie get laid. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's one of those stories, but really think about it. Grandma, would you really want to see Opie get laid? Not me. Maybe Leon gets laid. That would have been a good picture. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Clint. Thanks, Grant. It's been great, man. That's all for now. You can listen to my interviews with Clint's brother, Ron, and niece, Bryce Dallas Howard, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch clips from all three interviews at youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. A massive thanks to the Howard family for letting me into their lives. Before you go, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again for listening.